Hey, fellowship, we're, we're, in this, we're in this new series that I actually started last weekend called Luke, Jesus for Everyone. And so we've been walking through Luke chapter 7. We're going to walk through Luke chapter 7 and Luke chapter 8. And we're looking at this issue that, that how Jesus related to people, how Jesus related to people. And the title of this message is A Friend of the Hurting. So if you have your Bible, electronic devices, you can either click to, turn to, Luke chapter 7, verses 11 through 17 is what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at a, a story when, a, when, when Jesus ministered and, and healed a lady's deepest hurt and deepest wound. You know, we're walking through a season and we're walking through a time when, when many people are carrying anxiety and stress and some hurt and some pain. And, and so I just want you to know today that if you're not carrying any pain, then, then you should be thankful. And you should also be sensitive to those around you. I was thinking about this this last week. I, I went to Lowe's, and, and I had a mask on, and so I went to Lowe's. And what I'm learning is, is people at Lowe's don't wear masks. And so, so I went to Lowe's, and, and I, I met uh, a friend that, that attends our church, Keith, and, and Keith had a mask, and I had a mask. And so I looked over at him, and I said, Keith, is that you? And he looked at me and said, Charlie, is that you? And then we kind of laughed about that, and then we visited. And so I'm just wondering, maybe when we're out, we should wear name tags like, hello, my name is. And so, but anyway, I, I was at Lowe's, and after I'd uh, talked to Keith, and I went to check out, and I'm standing in line, and in the line next to me is a, is a man, and he's wearing a mask, and I'm wearing a mask. But not many other people had masks on in, in Lowe's. And, and this man you could tell he was stressed, and you could tell he was angry. And, and all of a sudden, this man looked over at me and said, this is ridiculous. I cannot believe many people aren't wearing masks in Lowe's. He said, you know what I ought to do? I ought to call the police and get the police out here, and I want the police to start writing tickets right now. And it created some tension in Lowe's in that line, and I, I just wanted to get out of there. I didn't want them to think that I was a part of that whole deal. And so, so I just want you to know how much I love you and how much I care for you. I look forward to the day when, when we can see each other face-to-face, -face, not just online, or not face-mask-to-face mask, but the day will come when we will be able to see each other face-to-face. -face. And, and I just want to tell you how much I love you, how much I am so proud of you, the way that you have continued to serve, the way you've continued to give. It has allowed us to meet needs, not only in this church, but in this community as we walk together. And so today I want to direct your attention to Luke chapter 7, verses 11 through 17. I want to talk to you about this issue that Jesus is a friend of the hurting. Jesus is the friend of the one that is going through pain. A lot of times we can watch the news, and the news can be overwhelming to us if we're not careful when we see what's happening in other states and the long food lines and, and the eight-year-old boy that's in ICU and his family can't be around him. And, and so we can go through those seasons, we can go through those days to where we can kind of feel the stress or we can kind of feel the anxiety of what we're walking through. And this story is just a reminder to us that guess what? Jesus is a friend of the hurting. Jesus is the friend of the ones that are wounded. It's a reminder to us that he is watching over you, that he sees everything that you and I are going through, and he, is, he, he understands the hurt that we're experiencing. So today I have three principles for you, three points, as we look at this story together. Let me give, you two, give them to you just a little bit of ahead of time, and then we're going to back into this story. The first thing is this, is, is it, that her friend saw her tragedy. Her friend saw her problem. Jesus saw 
her situation. And then as a result of what Jesus did in the midst of this, the crowd saw God. I mean, it's an amazing story. It's an amazing thing. So let's just pick the story up and look at the first principle is this. Her friends saw her situation. Her friends saw what she was walking through. And so here's what the scripture says, verse 11, Luke chapter 7, it said, Soon afterwards, he, Jesus, went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd were with him. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a considerable crowd from the town was with her. Now listen, this woman was in deep pain. She was in deep anguish. She, she was a widow. She had already buried a husband. She knows the months of loneliness and the pain of losing someone close to her. And later on in the story, Jesus refers to this young man or this man as a a young man. He was her son, and he was probably young at this time. And and so this is like a terrible tragedy. And so we don't know how her son died. We don't know if it was a result of a prolonged illness or disease. We don't know if it was an accident. We don't know if it came all of a sudden. We don't know, but we do know this. Her world has caved in. I mean, she lives in a time when, when when, when the culture that she was living in, there wasn't much assistance for her. And she had this empty void in her life. Her husband had passed away, and now her son is, is dead. And I, I personally do not know what it's like to, to lose a child. But as a pastor, I've, I've walked with parents, and I've walked with families through this, and I know it is hurtful and it is painful, and it is difficult to navigate through. fact is, the closest I've ever personally come to this because I remember when my uncle passed away when he was in his 60s, my grandfather was in his 80s. And so my grandfather is burying his son, and I still remember at the funeral, my grandfather just taking his, his head and placing it in his hands, and he was just sobbing, and he was saying, this is not the way it's supposed to be. A parent should never have to bury their son. A parent should never have to bury their child. This just isn't the way it's supposed to be, because see, there's something about that relationship to parent and child, Right. Uh, parents do things for their children that they would never do for anyone else. I mean, it's just that relationship. It's just that sacrificial relationship. And and we're living in a time, right, with COVID and quarantine that that many moms and dads are, I mean, they're they're working and they're working from home and, and they're homeschooling their kids and they're doing recreation and trying to keep their kids active. And, and, and I mean, this is a stressful time. And it's been kind of interesting to see some of the things on like Facebook and social media where people have been posting like, like what it's like to learn to homeschool and the struggles with homeschooling. And so there was one this last week that I read that kind of went viral on, on Facebook that a mom had, uh, had, had taken a picture of her note that her eight-year-old son had written about his homeschooling experience. Uh, his name is Ben, and he titled it Homed, H-O-M-E-D, Homed School was the title of it. And so this is what Ben writes. He's eight, year, eight, year old, eight years old about his mom, and, and he says, and this is what his experience of homeschool, and I'll quote, it says, it is not going good. My mom is getting stressed out. My mom is really getting confused. We took a break so my mom could figure this stuff out. And I'm telling you, it is not going good. 
And so you hear these stories about, about parents are doing things for their children that they would never do for anyone else. There was a story that one, one, mo- one uh, lady had, had posted about, about her son. She woke up one morning, and her young son had made coffee for her, and, and he brought it to her, and she's drinking the coffee. And it's like, it's like the worst cup of coffee that she's ever tasted. And, and then she get, finally gets down to the, like the bottom of the cup, and in the bottom of the cup there's like three plastic green soldiers that the the young man had put in the bottom of the cup and so she looked at it kind of confused and looked at him confused and said what is this and he says well mom you know the commercial the best part of your day is working up with soldiers in your cup and so when you look at this story with this mom and her son this woman was in the bible was just like us i'm sure she had drank some pretty bad cups of coffee that maybe her son had made for her Maybe she had homeschooled him, she had taken him to baseball games and laughed at his jokes and stayed up with him when he was sick and she had kept his meals warm for him when she was, he was coming in late. Maybe she had gone down to the synagogue and sat through plenty of like, like programs in, in church and then all of a sudden he's, he's, he's dead and fortunately she has a lot of friends, a community around her that supported her and the The Bible says, I mean, it's interesting, the Bible says that there was a considerable crowd that was following her. It's been said that a joy shared is a double joy, and a burden shared is half a burden. When someone is in crisis, here's what I've learned. When someone is in crisis, there is not much you and I can say to make it better, but there is a lot you and I can say to make it worse. Isn't that the case with Job? Job's friends really helped him when they just came and they just, it was just their presence. When they came and they just sat with him for a few days and, and that really helped him, but it hurt him. And they started preaching to him and they started judging him. Listen, let me tell you something. When someone is going through crisis around you, your presence is so important. Just you being there. Just you, I mean, this is what this woman had. A, a, a considerable crowd is what the scripture says. It was just their presence. They were with you, and you being willing to ask someone, what can I do for you right now? To where you just come alongside of them, and you surround them, and you help them. And so this woman had a lot of friends that were, like, carrying her burden. But you know what? If we're honest, there's, there's a limit. There's a limit to what friends can do. And this woman, this woman knew that there was going to be a time when all of her friends would go back to their jobs and go back to their homes and and she'd be left alone because she'd experienced this, right? She'd experienced this with her husband passing away. But there's something that happens in this story that I believe is so typical that what we can walk through, especially in, law, in, in loss. Luke describes, right? Luke describes two crowds that, that, that came together, two crowds that were going in opposite directions. And, and then all of, all of a sudden they meet. And one was a, one was a funeral procession and the other was a celebration. The people in the funeral procession, they were, they were stricken with, with just grief and anguish and pain. And then there's a group coming the opposite direction. They're, they're, they're surrounding Jesus, and they're full of excitement, and they're full of celebration, and, and all of a sudden they had like this celebrity in their midst or a miracle worker in their midst, and, 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 and they're following him. And so these two, these two crowds meet, and each one experiences experiencing different emotion. And, and here's what I've learned. When, 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 you, when you hurt deeply, you will, you will encounter others who are laughing and enjoying life. They're, 
They're unaware of your problems. They're unaware of your hurt. They're unaware of what you're walking through in life. And and if you're not careful, you'll have to battle resentment and and envy and and some other feelings. The fact is, I remember that years back when when my father passed away. And and he was a veteran. He was a World War II veteran. And and so he was buried. And I, I actually did his graveside service, and I preached his funeral. And and so because of, of how the National Cemetery did things that where he was, his graveside was, where he was buried, we had to do the graveside service first, and then we, we traveled and, and did the funeral at the funeral home. And I still remember riding in the car, and I passing a golf course, and people are out playing golf and laughing and pulling up at intersections, and people are in their cars, and they're listening to music and laughing and passing construction workers and ball fields and everything. And then all of a sudden, I I just had this thought, and I realized that life is going to go on without my dad. Others don't experience the pain that you're experiencing at the time. I mean, there's going to be a time when when, when you realize that friends at funerals will soon go back to their, their routine and they'll forget. Tony Campolo said this. He said, your friends will stand over your grave and talk and moan about how much, how much they will miss you. And then an hour later, they'll be back at your house eating potato salad. The, the, the truth is, you discover when you hurt that others around you don't hurt as deeply as you hurt. And so the first thing is this, her friends saw her situation. They did everything they could to support her, to help her, to minister to her. The second thing is this, fortunately, Jesus saw her situation. Not only did her friends see her situation, but Jesus saw her situation. And, and so in the midst of this woman's deep sorrow and pain, uh, she meets Christ, she meets Jesus. So verse 13, as we just keep reading through the story, and when the Lord saw her, that's where the principle comes from, He had compassion on her and said, do not weep. I love every one of these phrases that Jesus used when he spoke to her. He said he was immediately sensitive about this lady's needs and about this lady's hurts and about this lady's feelings. And it's a, listen, it's a special person who is optimistic about the day, but also is sensitive to the people around them that are depressed and that are hurting, that have some anxiety. It's a special person. You know what? They can experience a victory in life, but, ex- but at the same time be sensitive to people who, go, who are going through the agony of defeat. And it's a special person that can enjoy a holiday and still make a phone call to a hurting person and say, I know today is a hard day for you. There is somebody not at the table that's usually at the table, and I just want you to know that I'm praying for you and I care for you. And Jesus, in the midst of this celebration, he saw this woman, he saw her pain. Maybe the others were oblivious to it, to her pain and her situation, but, but we know this, Jesus wasn't oblivious to it. And Jesus had compassion. He was a compassionate friend. He's a friend to the hurting. He's a friend to the wounded. He is a friend to this woman. And there is no stronger word used here to describe sympathy in the Greek than the word that Jesus used. His heart, in other words, his heart went out to her. He knew what it was like to hurt. He knew what it was like to feel sorrow. He knew what it was like to feel grief. And the Son of God was moved by this woman's grieving. And so he said to her, do not weep. You know what that tells me? God doesn't just hear your prayers. He sees your tears. He sees your hurt. 
psalmist wrote in Psalm 56, 8, he said this. He said, you have, kept, you, you have kept count of my tossings. Put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? This suggests that God keeps records of your tears. God keeps records of your hurt. He keeps records of your pain. God is a lo- Listen, God is a loving father. And he is not going to exempt us from all pain and from all hurt. And he's going to allow us to grow through suffering. But when you hurt, you have to remember he sees your tears, he sees your hurt, he sees your pain, and he is with you. Do not pull away from him during this time. You learn to pull close to him. Jesus is the one that says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. And I will give you rest. I will give you comfort. And so his heart went out to this woman, and he began to comfort her. And he said, do not weep. He said, do not cry. And then Jesus performs a miracle. I mean, he takes care of the situation. Verse 14, then he came up and touched the beer, and the beer stood still. And he said, young woman, young, I'm sorry, he says, young man, I say to you, arise. And so this, this is an open coffin. It was much like a stretcher. Um, they, and so they, the pallbearers, when this happened, I mean, they didn't know what to do. They, they just stood still. And once, and one man said, Jesus interrupted every funeral that he ever attended. And so keep in mind that Orthodox Jews, they considered a person that, that were to touch a dead body, they would consider them unclean. But see, this didn't concern Jesus. And those carrying the stretcher, those carrying the body, all of a sudden when Jesus touched and said what he said, they just, they just they stood still. There's something about his demeanor that communicated authority and respect and care and love. And so the pallbearers just stopped. And he, Jesus, spoke to the man. The Gospels record several times. In fact, is, I think there's three occasions when Jesus would raise someone from the dead. And it's interesting that all three situations, all three, all three encounters, that Jesus always spoke to the person directly. And he said, arise, or he said, get up. And in Mark chapter 5 with Jarius' daughter, uh, he took her by the hand and, and he said, little girl, arise. Little girl, get up. And then John chapter 11 with Lazarus, uh, Jesus uh, told Martha and told him to roll the stone away. And then Martha turned to him and, and said, Jesus, you don't know what you're saying. He's been dead like four days. He, he stinks. Isn't it interesting when Jesus sometimes wants to perform a miracle in our life, we look at the small details and we look at why he shouldn't. And yet he told him to roll away the stone. And then he spoke directly to Lazarus and, and take off the grave clothes, arise and get up. And First Thessalonians 4.16 tells us, watch this, it says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of a command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Now that loud command will be for everyone who is in the grave. Arise. And then verse 15, as we just walked through this, watch this. And the dead man, after Jesus told him to arise and get up, watch this, verse 15. And the dead man sat up and began to speak. And Jesus gave him to his mother. Listen, this is one of the times that I wish Scripture gave us a little bit more information. It said that the man, the young man, uh, got up and he began to speak. I wonder what he said. Like, hi, Mom. What's for dinner? I'm hungry, especially if he was a teenager. I mean, I just wonder what he would say. But listen, that isn't my favorite phrase. My favorite phrase in this text is this. It says, 
Jesus gave him to his mother. You know what this tells me? Jesus delights in restoring relationships. Can't you imagine just seeing this scene, a mother being reunited to her son? This picture of, of, of a reunion, this is the picture of what's going to take place in heaven someday, that, pe- that people are going to be reunited with their loved ones. I'll never forget, I was on a long ministry trip. It was about three weeks. It was a mission trip, and Karen wasn't able to go with me at the time. The, the kids were home and schedules and everything. So just I went, and, and I was away for like three weeks, and Karen was going to pick me up at the airport, and, and so I was going to call her when I got off the plane, and she'd pull around and pick me up at the curve. And, and I will never forget, she surprised me. And as, as I came off the plane and came through security and, and to the, from the gate, all of a sudden, there is Karen standing there waiting for me. I will never forget her smile. I'll never forget her face. And it was, it was, just, it was just a, it was a great reunion. And that was a re- wonderful reunion after like three weeks. But there is a, there's a better day coming for all of us. Can you, can you imagine that, what that reunion will be like when we walk through the tunnel of death and our loved ones greets us and then he gives us back to our family. And maybe you've been separated from someone for three weeks, three years, or maybe 30 years, but that day is coming. The third and last principle is this, is the crowd saw God. The crowd saw God, verse 16. Fear seized them all, and they glorified God, saying, a great prophet has, has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. And this report about him spread through the whole the whole of Judea, and all the surrounding country. And so the people from both groups were excited to see what what took place. They were excited to see what Jesus had done. They had read stories about Jesus and about prophets raising the dead, but they had never seen it before. And now all of a sudden they they get to witness it. And this this prophet, Jesus, had, 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 had performed this miracle, but what they didn't understand maybe at the time... Was Jesus was God in the flesh? They didn't understand that this Jesus was more than a prophet; that he was he was God with flesh on. But they knew that only God could raise the dead. But they were sure that God was with them. And verse seventeen said, "This news of the gospel it spread through all the land." See, Jesus is a unique friend because he doesn't just comfort us in our troubles; he cures the problem, he cures the situation. Let me ask you a question: If if immediately when the boy died, if the mother had known that in the next 24 hours her, her son was going to meet Jesus and Jesus was going to perform a miracle and he was going to give him back to her, would her attitude have changed in the 24 hours? She wouldn't have grieved so much. She would have she would been full of, of hope. She would have been excited or eager for Jesus to return. And Now, Jesus promises us that one day, He's going to come back and raise the dead of those who know him. He's going to call out, and all that know him are going to, going to come forth. That if you really believe that there is a resurrection, if we really believe that there's going to be a reunion, if we really believe that there's going to be a new heaven someday, our entire attitude should change about today. We have sorrow, but we don't have sorrow without hope. We, ha- we have sorrow because of the separation, but... But we know that one day we're going to see our loved ones again. In other words, what Scripture tells us, 
Christians should have a different attitude. We keep our enthusiasm, we keep our hope through the worst problems that we walk through. Romans 8.18 tells us, For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is, has been revealed to us. Only Christianity can give us this hope. Now, I know that some people trust in all kinds of different things, especially in crisis, and some people trust in the government, that the government is going to take care of us, the government's going to save us, that the politicians are the ones that are going to save us, and they're going to come up with a plan, or our 401k, our insurance, or our our bank account is going to save us, or, or some people are turning to science and saying science is going to save us, and they're going to come up with a vaccine, and they're going to take care of it. But the problem with that is this, is that science, and the government and politicians and experts and, and 401Ks, they can't answer the biggest problem in life, the biggest question in life, what happens after death? 1 Corinthians 15, chapter, chapter 15, verse 19, Paul begins talking about that. Watch this. He says, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we're of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came by death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For also in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. If this, listen, if this world is all there is, if this world, if you believe if this, this world is all there is, then we are to be pitied among people. In other words, this, this world is all there is, and so we're, we're, just, we're just matter. We just, the theory of evolution tells you that, that this world is all there is. Evolution tells you that we are just matter. But I'm, I'm, I would ask you a question. If we are only matter, then why do we react the way we react? When someone passes away because of COVID, Why do we feel sad? Because you're not just matter. Because you have a soul, you have emotion, you have have thought, you're you're a person. And Paul begins talking about this issue that Christianity has an answer to the major question of life, what happens after death, that Jesus Christ is already raised from the dead, and he is a first fruit. And he's an example to us to follow 1 Corinthians 15, verse 35 says, but someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You are a foolish person. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is, is not the body that is to be, but a, a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or some other grain. You can take a yellow kernel of corn and you can put it in the garden. And it will turn black as it, as it decomposes, but in a, but in a few weeks, a, a, a few weeks later, a green stalk comes out of the ground, and now you cannot explain how that happens, but you just know it does. You know it happens because you've seen it. And so God, in his time one day, will bring to life out of this dead body. And so verse 42, he goes on and he says, so it is with the resurrection of the dead, What is sown is perishable, what is raised is imperishable. 
It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown in a natural body. It is raised in a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. And then if you drop down 1 Corinthians 15, verse 50, 50, he says this. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in a twinkling of an eye. The last trumpet, the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, for we shall be changed. For this perishable body must be put on on the imperishable, and this mortal body must be put on immortality. And when the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on the immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ that we can trust him because he not only sees our hurt, but he sees our our tears. Would you bow your heads with me? And let me just ask you a question. What is God saying to you as a result of this message? What is the decision that you need to make? Do Do you need to meet him just like this lady did? and ask him to come into your life and give you the gift of of heaven, give you the gift of eternal life. Can we just come to the place and, and say, Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that my sins have separated me from you. And I am asking you right now to come into my life to forgive me my sins. And to the very best of my ability, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to walk with you. Maybe you're a believer this morning. What is what What is your next step? Do you need to trust him and just know that he not only sees your hurts, he sees your pain, he sees your tears. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for your love and we thank you for your grace. We thank you for the power of your name. And Lord, I ask that you'd pull everyone watching online very close to you right now. And they would feel your presence. And those that need to make a decision for you, Lord, I pray they would. And Lord, for those that know you, may they be encouraged this day that you are with them. For we ask them these things in Jesus' name, amen.